You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. We could start this Matthew 21 by saying the beginning of the end. This statement describes the context we are walking into as Jesus enters the final week of his life before his death on the cross. For 20 chapters of Matthew, we have journeyed with Jesus for 32 years of his life, from Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth, now to Jerusalem. Now we are going to watch Jesus' last eight days of his life. One-fifth of the book of Matthew is dedicated to the last eight days of Jesus' life. These must be pretty significant events. If Matthew would take 20 chapters for 32 years of his life and eight chapters for the last eight days of his life. Matthew is now showing us that Jesus is going public with who he is. There will no more be Jesus telling people, don't tell anyone who I am. The cat is coming out of the bag. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the King. It is time for the reader of Matthew to know it and to see it clearly. Jesus in Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 22 does three symbolic actions that make it clear that he is the king, that he is the Messiah. He rides in to Jerusalem on a donkey. He cleans out the temple and he curses the fig tree. He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He cleans out the temple and he curses the fig tree. This is Jesus putting action to this reality that we've been seeing hinted at throughout the book of Matthew. But now it is clearly seen that Jesus is the king. And so today, let's begin with the end as it starts in Matthew chapter 21 and verses 1 through, we'll go down to verse 11. Now when they heard Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of a burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. In this moment, Jesus does this symbolic act of riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah 9 and verse 9, where it was prophesied that the coming king, the coming Messiah, would ride on a donkey. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here of being the coming Messiah. It's interesting that kings would ride two different animals into cities to show what they were coming to that city for. If they were riding a horse, it meant they were coming to bring war to the city. If they were riding a donkey into a city, it meant they were bringing peace to the city. And so Jesus is very symbolically riding a donkey into the city to say, I have not come to bring war in this moment. Now we know the next time he comes, he's riding on a horse. But the first time, he came riding on a donkey to say, I am bringing peace through me. As he's riding into town on this donkey by them laying their cloaks on the ground and putting the branches on the ground, they are rolling out for Jesus the red carpet. They are saying, you are our Prince of Peace and we're putting the red carpet out for you as you're coming into the city. Then they begin to praise Jesus for who he is. They, they use this term Hosanna, which means save us. What's interesting about the term Hosanna is that it originally was a cry for help, like Hosanna, like save us. But over time, it turned into a song of praise, Hosanna. That's what they're singing, Psalms 118, 25, and 26. And the whole city is stirred up about Jesus. We're estimating maybe around 200,000 people in the city at this time as Passover is getting closer and closer. They would come to the temple. And so about 200,000 people are riled up about Jesus. And they say that this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth, that he is the prophet. Then in verses 12 through 13, Jesus enters the temple and it says this in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who, stood, who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, quoting scripture, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. So picture Jesus has come to the temple now and the temple was broken up into sections. You had the Holy of Holies. Then you had around the Holy of Holies, the court of priests. Then around that you had the court of Israel, which was the court of men where the men of Israel could go. Then you had another court called the court of women where the women of the Jewish nation could go to worship God. And then you had this final area called the court of the Gentiles. And in the court of the Gentiles is where Jesus walks into. And what he finds when he walks in there is commerce, a place that he had designed for worship so that all nations could worship him. They had turned it into a place of commerce. So as they would come from far places, they could exchange their coins to get the proper coins. They could pay for doves to be able to sacrifice them. But what had happened is they had taken the place that Jesus, that God had designed for them to worship, and they turned it into a place to make money. This is why Jesus comes and flips over the tables because they were missing the point 
of what that area was for. They were hindering the Gentiles from worshiping God because they were trying to make a dollar. It says that he quotes Isaiah 56 and verse 7 that says, My house shall be called a house of prayer. Matthew doesn't add it in here, but if you go to other Gospels that record this, it actually says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That This was designed so that all people could come to know God, and they were getting in the way of people coming to know God because they were trying to make a dollar. And Jesus shows his authority here that he is the king, that he is over the temple, and he flips the money changers over and says, This is not what this is designed for. Then in verse 14, and following the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. This is the last time we'll see Jesus heal. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. There's that term, son of David, should take us back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Remember how the book of Matthew starts? The genealogy of Jesus Christ, who? Son of David. Again, always pointing us to the reality that Matthew is wanting them to see that Jesus is a king. And these children are seeing it. They're they're getting it, that Jesus is the king. He's the one that has come to save But it says of the scribes and the chief priests, they were indignant. They were angry. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? Do you understand what they're calling you and basically is what they're saying to Jesus? And I love Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Isn't Jesus funny? Being sarcastic with these guys again. Like obviously they've read, right? They're the chief priests. They're the scribes. They know the Bible. They know their book, right? And so he's being sarcastic with them when he says, Have you never read? And Jesus quotes to them Psalm 8 and verse 2, Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. Here we are again back with kids. Remember Matthew chapter 18? Jesus pulls a kid in the middle of the disciples and says, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 19, he reminds them again of, unless you become like a child, you cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. And yet again, a child is an example of praise. And he's saying to the Pharisees, the scribes and and the Pharisees, he's saying to them again, the chief priest, don't you see? Can't you see that these kids are getting it and you're missing what is right in front of you? Verse 17, and leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This is Sunday night to Monday. Some would say Saturday to Sunday. Next day, Monday here in the morning, as he he was entering to the city, he became, became hungry and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. I I sort of find that a little bit funny, right? He just said, you're not going to produce fruit. And it's like, I'll just be done at that moment, you know. And he just withers up. But Jesus is showing his power over nature, over creation, that he could just speak to it and it withers. 
Look at verse 20. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did this fig tree wither at once? What are they marveling at? His authority. That he could just say, May you never produce fruit. And the tree's like, Shoo! Right? Like, what? who has that kind of authority? Jesus has that kind of authority. Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity for his disciples in verse 21. And Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus is doing the same thing here he did a little bit earlier with the rich people where he says of the rich that it is harder for them to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel, the largest land animal, to go through the eye of a needle. It's, it's this big statement that is impossible. This is the same thing Jesus is saying of prayer here. That that's literally impossible for a mountain to be picked up and thrown into the sea. So how does this happen it doesn't happen through the, the amount of prayers that we pray. It doesn't happen through the amount of faith that we have. What he is speaking here in this moment to is who our faith is being placed in. Our faith is being placed in the one who has all authority, who can take a camel through the eye of a needle? Who can pick up a mountain and throw it into the sea, right? This is the one that we are praying to. These three symbolic actions are pointing us to the reality that Jesus has all authority. Remember one of the key verses, Matthew 28 and verse 18. He said to them, I have all authority in heaven and on the earth. He's making it clear to them, I have all authority. I have authority over that donkey that if you read other passages of Scripture, was never been ridden on before. You don't get on a donkey that's never been ridden on before and ride it, right? Like you're going to be painful if you do that. But because Jesus has authority over that donkey, he could ride on it into Jerusalem. Jesus walks into the temple, and because Jesus has all authority, he can flip over the tables and say, this is not what this is designed for. Jesus has all authority, so he can go to a fig tree and say, you're not going to bear fruit anymore, and that fig tree can dry up immediately. Why? Because Jesus has all authority, and when he has all authority, you must respond to it. You can't stay neutral to his authority. You have to respond to his authority. And I think in the text we see three ways that they respond and how we can respond to his authority. Let me give them to you quickly. Since Jesus has all authority, we submit, we praise, and we pray. We submit, we praise, and we pray. Since Jesus has all authority, we submit to him. The disciples, when they said, go into the city and get a donkey, they didn't say, hold up, how's that going to work? Like, they just did it. He said, I've got you taken care of. Go in, we see the donkey, submit, do what I tell you to do. 
gets on the donkey. They, the donkey submits to his authority. When he speaks to the fig tree, it submits to his authority. And I use the word submit not because I just was looking through the source for a word that would fit. I use the word submit because of the idea of the word is to place oneself under the authority of someone. It's to follow someone's leadership. And if we believe that Jesus has all authority, we must submit our lives to him. I would say I'm concerned for some of you in the room because you have submitted your life to Jesus for your eternity. But you haven't submitted your life to Jesus for tomorrow. Like you don't know about the future, so you're willing to submit your life to that. You're willing to believe that he has authority over your death so we don't have to fear death. But the problem in your life is coming in the area of are you willing to submit your life to him tomorrow? Are you willing to do what he's called you to do tomorrow? Since Jesus has all authority, we must submit, then we must praise. The people praised as he rode in on the donkey. The children praised Jesus in the temple. The response to who he was, the response to his authority was praise. Listen, I know you know how to do this. I saw it Sunday and all week long. When you watch Patrick Mahomes play and you see how well he plays and the authority in which he plays and wins games when he's down by 10, what did that lead you to do? I saw it. Facebook, Everywhere, all over the place this week. What were we doing? We're praising him. There's no quarterback in the history like him. Now, he's got ways to go to catch Brady, but we're saying he's really good, right? Because praise just flows from our lips when we recognize somebody who has authority, who's really good at what they do. The same thing should be true of our life with Christ. That when we recognize him for who he is, that he has all authority, we should praise him. So don't tell me you don't know how to praise. Don't tell me you praise in your heart but not in your lips. We know how to do this. Let's recognize him for who he is and praise him. I love, and i got to say this, Luke 1940, the same story. Luke records some extra details of the story. And when the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and they're like, hey, these kids, it's annoying. They're praising you. Would you tell them to stop? Jesus says to them in Luke 19 and verse 40, if they don't praise me, you see the rocks, they're going to cry out. Why would the rocks cry out? Because they know who has all authority. Right? They can recognize who Jesus is. Should we not so much more recognize who Jesus is and praise him? The last thing I see is that since Jesus has all authority, we pray. Jesus uses the cursing of the fig tree to speak to his disciples about prayer. See, prayer has less to do about what you and I say and more to do about who we're putting our trust in. That's why earlier in Matthew he says, If you have faith as the grain of mustard seed... This small faith, but if it's who you're putting your faith in. I believe that there is a lack of prayer in our lives because there's a lack of belief that Jesus has all authority. 
Because if I believe that he has all authority, won't I go to him? My kids, when they were smaller, they knew who had all authority in the house, right? Mom and dad. So they came to us for their food. They came to us for their clothing. They came to us because they knew that they, who had all the authority and who could provide for them. What happens as they get older? That dynamic changes, doesn't it? They go from being dependent to independent, they go from needing us to, to not needing the parent anymore, to being on their own. Good thing, right? But in the Christian life, really the opposite should be true of our lives. The more we grow in our life, the more dependent we should be upon the Lord. The more we grow in seeing who he is as the cat is coming out of the bag, that Jesus is the king, that he has all authority, the more we should be going to him because the more we know we can't do life apart from him. Because Jesus has all authority, or since Jesus has all authority, we submit, we praise, and we pray. Today, as we observe communion together, here's what I would like for you to do. I would like for you, as 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians teaches us in verse 11, to examine our hearts. I would like for you to examine your heart in light of these three words. Submit, praise, and pray. And as you think about what the Lord has done for us, how Jesus ultimately demonstrated his authority through his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection, he demonstrated that he has all authority. I want you to think about your heart and life and understand and, and work through, is there areas of your life that you have not submitted to the Lord? Your work, your family, that sin that you struggle with, that you've not submitted to the Lord's leadership in your life in that. I want to encourage you to take a moment to reflect and to think, how can I bring my life under the leadership of Jesus? Maybe it's praise as you think about praise in your life. Maybe you've gotten distracted by the things of this world and life and you've lost sight of who Jesus is and your praise has, has wavered and today you just in this moment while we're examining our hearts before the Lord, you would come back and say, Lord, help me to live a life of praise to you. And then prayer. As you examine your heart and you think about your prayer life, is there a dependence on the Lord? Is there a sense in which it's not about how many words we say? It's not about when we pray. It's about who we are praying to. And we've lost sight of that. We've lost sight of the reality that he has all authority in our lives and in creation. And you would get your heart right with the Lord on those things. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.